<laughs> we work so hard to get stronger, happier, more productive and successful. Don't forget the secret ingredient. Get grounded in play. Play grounding when it's time to get a life. Hi, and welcome back to Playgrounding. I'm your host, Kara Stewart-Fortier, recording this intro at the Hummingbird Inn in Ojai, California. I finally did it. (laughs) I am taking a little break. Um, Yesterday was day one of my first official 100 days of play inspired by one of our previous guests, play coach Ben Ross, aka the Flying Raccoon. He's from the United Kingdom. We talked to him a few months back. It's taken me an embarrassingly long time to finally take on this challenge. Um, I guess... I've learned recently that I'm one of those people who's lived a lot of my life working on getting everything just so, and then, and only then, can I accomplish my many lofty goals. It's kind of like a twisted perversion of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like a really messed up one. Um, I felt that I needed order. I needed to get things in order before I can really like climb on top of all that order and then accomplish great things. Um... But really, honestly, what I've been learning more and more lately is that true order, the kind that I've been trying to instill upon my world, it it rarely, rarely appears for more than a moment at a time. And usually it's like a random coincidence, you know, like the stars aligning or wait, planets align, not stars. But anyway, you get what I'm trying to say. It goes away as quickly as it appears. And living and striving for order means constantly living in reaction mode, you know, when something falls out of place. Okay, that's my dog tap dancing with her toes on this floor in this pet-friendly hotel. She doesn't want to stop. She's not going to let me record this in peace. So yeah, I hope you can hear that. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) Um, yeah, speaking of reaction mode, but you know, if we're always changing our agenda to pull things back into place, like I'm always trying to get my dog to sit down so I can do my intro, (laughs) You know, you just never get the intro done. At least that's not going to be how it goes today. Um, I'm not going to keep postponing the beautiful messiness of life. I'm not going to keep seeing it as as an obstacle. I'm just going to live in it. And I'm still going to do the things that I want to do. Um, And this is partially inspired by the conversation that you're about to hear with Shepard Siegel. The more we try to instill order, the more play just seems like that rogue, that deviant, that that thing that goes against the grain, that, that thing that brings you into a brand new way of looking at the world. And I won't expand on it anymore. I want you to hear this episode. Um, this is really special. We're taking a look at an aspect of play that affects our political and cultural lives. We're about to once again go into a completely new direction. I know I keep jerking you around from physical fitness and politics and, and you know, all these different things. I I can't choose a podcast category on iTunes. Is it health and wellness? Absolutely. Is it career and business? Yes. Culture? Yes. Spirituality? Yes, yes, yes. Play touches all of these areas of life. It's elusive and it's nearly impossible to define. And the thing that is an integral part of so many of these categories of life, and of course, the reason why play is integral to what it means to be human. And we think we can just extract it from our lives. No, that's what this podcast is about. That's the category. It's about what happens when we try to take play away and about the magic that happens when we engage in it. And I'm so excited for you to hear this episode. You're just going to need to strap in. 
Shepard Siegel is an educator and author whose work explores disruptive play and protest. And the way I like to describe it is, it's what can happen when we approach adult problems, like big societal problems like war and poverty, through a childlike and playful lens. We'll be talking about the role of the trickster as it is passed down to us through mythology and many, many cultures. We'll learn about cultural movements led by pranksters who laid the groundwork for some of the methods of protest against the Vietnam War. And it's kind of, well, Shepard's going to take us through the badass side of play. You'll see what I mean. Now let's meet Shepard. Welcome to Playgrounding, Shepard Siegel. I'm so excited to have you on. Thank you. <laughs> this is this was like a kind of an, a mind blowing experience of meeting you. I, I remember the first conversation we had. I was just it just opened up so many ideas for days, and um, then I got to read the introduction and first chapter of this book that you're working on, and I'm just excited to make this an ongoing relationship of learning if that's okay with you. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, and you're connected to so many folks in the play field mm -hmm. and, uh, and the playgrounds of the, of the world. So, uh, the feeling is mutual. Oh, thank you. Well, it's, there's so much to talk about and just to sort of set up where we're going with this, uh, Shepard has a book coming out, um, probably fall winter ish coming in the end of the year. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. And so well, I, I really didn't want to wait till then. I, I wanted you to know who he is now, um, because especially if you're in the play community, this book is just going to be a lot of fun, um, but also on a very serious topic that's close to my heart. Um, we have had one episode about politics. We're going to go in a completely different direction. And I don't go party lines, different directions. I go completely different concepts, different directions. Um, mm -hmm. So today we're going to just get to know Shepard. That's what I'd really love us to do today. And then I will be posting updates as he gives them to me and just let you all know what's going on with his book. And as he might have like little teasers and things, we'll make sure we have access to that. Is that cool? Sounds great. Okay, cool. Well, Shepard, if you want to go ahead and tell us a little about yourself, um, who are you and how did you get involved with being so interested in the topic of play? Sure, sure. Well, I, you know, I can just start right off by, uh, you know, letting you know that I'm, I, I'm in my 60s and the 60s is also the decade where I was uh, growing up in the in the bay area mm -hmm. and it, it was uh it was a really exciting time and so you know i'm like 14 years old hmm. um you know and uh and when things are just just blowing up in the in the bay area i'm living on the peninsula and uh vietnam war is the protest against that war is getting started but i'm also in the heart of uh this this the hippie culture mm -hmm. for lack a hippie counterculture for lack of a better term uh, you've got psychedelic drugs happening you've got uh, rock and roll you've got activism you've got just this whole uh, free-spirited and playful attitude happening and um, because I was a little bit on the young side uh, when that was happening it affected me even more deeply and it really uh, uh, stoked an inspiration that has 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 stayed with me the whole time. And mm. I, I, I just I distinctly remember, you know, asking myself, I'm going, is, is this because, uh, you know, you're like you're 14, 15 years old and you're you're just getting aware of that. There's a whole world out there. Mm. And but it happens to be the late 60s in, in the Bay Area. And you go, oh, so is this what 
is this what it's like? And, <laughs> and, and, and I was, you know, smart enough to go, no, something special is happening here right now. And, uh, and eventually I figured out, and it's not likely to happen again mm -hmm. in my lifetime. I am growing up in a very special place in a very special time. Mm -hmm. So I started thinking about, well, what, what characterized that, you know? And I think for me, the, the unifying theme of what was happening then was play, mm -hmm. was a playfulness approach, even though there was a terrible war going on, even though our country was waking up to the horrors uh, 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 of our racist uh, legacy, mm -hmm. um, there was nonetheless this, this approach that play has something to do with unraveling um, the suffering and, 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 and conflict in the world. Mm -hmm. um, so I was really influenced by what were called the yippies, who were uh, folks who took the hippie philosophy and injected it right into the midst of the political conflicts of the time. Hmm. And then as time went on, and you know, I had my own career in in education, but it, it was almost like a hobby. I kept studying this stuff, and you know, eventually I I, I discovered the trickster archetype, and was able to connect the dots. And and even when I was in high school, a lot of the um, the uh, you know the the political activists that I hung out with were were. Um, were, were into what was called situationism and, 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 and turned me on to what, what Dada was and, mm. and the precedence of uh, the anti-war movement that came up during World War I, now 100, 100 years ago. Yeah. So that's kind of a big part of who I am and how I got inspired uh, to do all this. And uh, um, I'm sure my own, <laughs> just my, my own who I am thing uh, has something to do with it too and, and uh, the, the way I grew up. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, so many places to go. I mean, even just from reading the introduction, and we're not going to get into the meat, much of the meat of that yet, but I wouldn't mind kind of looking at some of the historical context. Um, I would really would love it if you wouldn't mind talking a little bit about that movement that came out of World War One and how it kind of relates to the era that you were growing up in and some of the realizations that you made there. Sure. And, and if I could, by way, by way of background, mm -hmm. I, I, I want to introduce the trickster archetype. Okay. yeah. So, um, you know, the book is like a three-part question with a four-part answer. And, and, and the first question is, what is this thing called play? Mm -hmm. um, and you've done some really neat stuff. I know you reference uh, Stuart Brown mm -hmm. a lot, and I think he's absolutely superb uh, resource. And I, I, I have consonants with his, his definitions of play. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I also, like I sent you this book called Playing by Heart, mm -hmm. I don't know if you've, you got it, and, and um, by Fred Donaldson, and, and he really relates the playfulness of very, very young children, like infants, mm -hmm. to the playfulness of other animals. And it, that, and, and then he talks about how we lose that as we get as we get older. Mm -hmm. And so the, the questions the book asks is, well, what happens when you get a, a grown-up who has not lost touch with that ability to be playful in the in the infant slash animal sense, mm -hmm. uh, playful in a very non-competitive way, and and what and what will happen and w what will happen is that such a grown-up will inevitably encounter the trickster, mm -hmm. which is is the oldest archetype uh, known to humanity and the oldest written stories we have uh, come to uh, from the Winnebago tribe out in. Uh, uh, Tennessee and Wisconsin and Nebraska, mm -hmm. uh, Wajunkaga, 
<laughs> was the name, and I have to um, dance around uh, pronouns of he and she because mm. tricksters are gender benders, and Watkin Jaga was usually male but would could switch gender mm-hmm. whenever uh, he or she wanted to, um, and and was in it for the fun, uh, for the fun of it, as all tricksters are. And so I talk in that first chapter about tricksters in non-Western cultures. Eshuelegwa from West Africa is really critical because yeah. uh, Eshu influences so much of African American culture, which influences American culture at large. And, and then, all, all, but also a lot of people are familiar with Loki, um, you know, thanks to Marvel Comics. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and. and uh, but Loki is kind of painted as a bad guy in the movies. And, and Loki, in the early writings, Loki is, a, is very much a trickster character. And tricksters, tricksters are neither good nor evil. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're amoral, which kind of throws people a lot. But when you think about play, play really isn't a moral activity. It's not good. It's not bad. We do a lot of, we write books and we talk a lot about how play is good for you, good for this. Mm-hmm. And I really support all that stuff. Like we should have more recess and, and uh, you've done a couple of great things about what happens when kids get deprived of play and what mm-hmm. we lose. So I, I get all that. Um, but the fact is that play itself is not is not a moral activity. No. But, but, right. But what you learn in this anthropology study is that yet uh, the, the, even though the trickster is is amoral, it's out of that amoral soup, if you will. Of, of just being in it for the fun of it, mm-hmm. that uh, values do emerge. And, and, and so this is, this is the deal. I'm going to, I'm going to come back to this. Uh-huh. You had um, with Loki, the, the story of Loki was written twice, once in the pre-Christian era and once in the post-Christian. And when Loki was written the second time, all of a sudden he had to be punished. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden he'd gone from neither good nor evil to evil. Mm-hmm. And my theory is that Western civilization, and I don't just mean to pick on Western civilization, but any civilization that is going to build empire really needs a very clear black and white, mm-hmm. we are good, they are evil. And so they can't afford to have these trickster characters running around and being powerful because Wakunjaga is a, a deity. Um, Eshuelegwa is a deity mm-hmm. right up here in the Northwest. I live in Seattle. Raven is a deity among the Northwest Indians. So Western culture said we cannot have a powerful trickster running around, but we know that we can't get rid of trickster. So so thus you have the court jester. You have the court jester as a trickster character who's been kind of had his wings plucked. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and so Western culture um, uh, binds, binds the trickster until World War One, which brings us back to your original question, mm-hmm. because he, because uh, what, what what Paul Radin, the anthropologist who writes this book, says, um, even though um, trickster is neither good nor evil, it's out of that amoral soup that, that values emerge. And I struggled with this for a long time. I go, well, what do you mean by that? And then I thought about that tricksters are anti-war, mm. but tricksters aren't anti-war out of some morality. Tricksters are anti-war because war is no fun. Stupid, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there is no less fun activity Absolutely. in the world than war. <laughs> and so 
when you think about it, rather than having some morality agenda of good versus evil, to be anti-war because it's no fun, you're actually on much more solid <laughs> ground, in my opinion. Uh, um, wow. <laughs> and so, so, so what happens is World War One, I, I think, is a real contender for the bloodiest and stupidest war ever fought. I, I, I happen to think they're all stupid, mm -hmm. but uh, World War One was particularly. I mean, ask anybody what was the reason for World War One, and you can't really get a good answer except that you have these military powers that were just itching, itching for a fight. Mm -hmm. And um, and the, the the greatest artist in Europe. Uh, saw this as as not being very much fun, and and and, and so they they um, they in fact they found it as quite absurd, and thus they fled the countries that were engaged in the war, and they went to Zurich, Switzerland, which was neutral, and founded Dada, and Dada eventually spread to a number of countries, but Zada, Dada was the invention of the art of the absurd, hmm. and so the, the one of the images that most people are familiar with is the, the men's urinal that's turned on its side, and it has inscribed on it, R. Mutt, and it was entered in a um, an art contest, an art exhibition by one of the greatest Dadas, you know, and, and I do a chapter uh, that features him, Marcel Duchamp. I say I features him, but Marcel Duchamp was also Rose Silave, would dress up as a woman sometimes. Mm -hmm. So he was quite the trickster figure, quite the gender bender himself, and really very playful. Mm -hmm. And so I consider the Dadas to be what I call the, the 20th century jailbreak <laughs> of trickster. They get, they get free of this binding and they say, we're not going to be your court jester anymore. We have an important message to deliver because you are fighting a truly absurd war. And Duchamp, and so, of course, when we think of entering a urinal in an art contest today, we barely bat an eyelash. <laughs> but in 1914, when he did it, it was, it was, it was scandalous and controversial. Mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, I'm putting words in his mouth, but, he, but, but for, to me, that statement was, you're you're challenging me for the absurdity of entering a urinal in an art contest. I'm going, how can you call that absurd when you're killing each other on the Western Front for no apparent reason? That to me is that absurdity. Uh, you know, my my little joke pales in comparison, but I'm not going to be your court jester. Um, wow. and, and, and so that's to me how anti-war activities and, and trickster consciousness come together. Wow. And uh, and and so that was 100 years ago. There's a lot of uh, anniversaries now of World War One, mm -hmm. and hopefully we'll celebrate the 100th anniversary of, of, of Dada as well. Yeah. And honestly, I think that Wonder Woman would have been a much better movie if she was fighting Ares simply because he was a killjoy. <laughs> Although that movie, that was just wonderful. I know. I loved it so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really great. That's awesome. And you actually go in your book through um, the 20th century, but you and with through the beats as well, and talk right. about them a bit and how that kind of laid the groundwork for the kind of what the soup that you grew up in the the culture that you were a part of. Sure. So, so there's this uh, saying that is uh, attributed to Mark Twain. And uh, nobody can, nobody's been able to prove whether Mark Twain actually said it, but it's a lot of fun. It goes, history doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so, 
So what had happened is, you know, we are all familiar with the Impressionists and that the Impressionists, you know, Monet comes to mind, uh, Renoir, uh, you know, um, Picasso hang out, hung out with those guys, but he, he moved on to other things. But um, uh, the Impressionists started breaking the rules of painting and they started experimenting with color and with light and and more like how what's the feeling of this scene i'm looking at rather than trying to do something that's more uh realistic which mm -hmm. is what painting was up to that time and so the dadas came along as artists and 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 looked at impressionism and they said well if you're going to break a few of the rules of art let's let's just break all of them what the heck <laughs> And so and so they did. And it was just this incredible creative explosion. Um, and the, the art that um, most excites me um, It's important to note that they were very anti-commercial, mm -hmm. that they made disposable art. They kind of invented the zine. They they did pranks. Uh, you know, they, 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 you know, as an anti-war activity, one guy went into a theater in a uniform and, you know, today we would be horrified by it. But he uh, he shot his pistol into the air just to bring home the horror of uh, of war. Um, they, uh, they 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 did all kinds of, of cra crazy things mm -hmm. and they weren't in it to make money. And, and which is important to note. Mm -hmm. And the irony, of course, is if you have an authentic piece of Dada art today uh, <laughs> or impressionist, it's probably the most expensive yeah. you know, art, art in the world. But at any rate, you know, World War One eventually ended. And so that you, you kind of to have a movement like that, you kind of if you're going to be anti-war, you got to have a war to be anti. Mm -hmm. And and so the, the, the energy faded, the energy dissipated. And the, and the Dadas uh, moved on to surrealism or the, the following generation of artists. And somebody like Andre Breton was both a Dada and a surrealist. And, and so they retreated from the political stage into their minds, into psychology. And you, you get someone like Salvador Dali with, with these very surrealist paintings and, an ex, and saying, we're still anti-war. We're still politically progressive, but we're not out on the streets. We're we're in our in our own heads now. Mm -hmm. So back to the Mark Twain quote, I like to see the beats, as you mentioned, as an echo of the Impressionists. Mm -hmm. The Impressionists started breaking the rules of painting. The beats started breaking the rules of literature mm -hmm. and they wrote different kinds of poems and they and and, and someone like Allen Ginsberg mm -hmm. was very openly gay and wrote about that and and was getting notoriety for it um you had you had uh you know they were starting to really uh, provoke the establishment with with uh, somebody like Lenny Bruce. Uh, you had William Burroughs uh, doing all kinds of experimenting with his life and with 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 drugs and and, and with literature, uh, writing amazing stuff. And, and most notably, of course, you had Jack Kerouac, mm -hmm. who uh, who writes a number of novels on the road, being the the real big one that that really really did spark what he called a rucksack revolution. Hmm. And so as the Dadas made it, I mean, as the Impressionists made it possible for the Dadas, the Beats made it possible for the hippies. <laughs> and, and and the Beats said, well, let's break some of the rules of literature. And the hippies said, let's break a bunch of rules, you know. <laughs> and, and so they, they came on the scene very, very playfully and very utopian and uh, and th and that was it was it was a big deal and and I was fortunate enough to to uh, to to grow up in the in the midst of that mm -hmm. 
And as the uh, Dada's had um, World War One as a foil, uh, the hippies had had Vietnam. And 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 it, 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 it's interesting to look back at it, especially since our times today, Kara, are so are so serious yeah. and and so terrifying. And believe me, the the war in Vietnam was was very serious and mm-hmm. terrifying, and there was a lot of suffering, and we did a lot of terrible things. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of a lot of people died needlessly. Yet, still in the midst of that, without compromising their anti-war position, in fact, enhancing their anti-war position, the hippies would do things like, you know, putting flowers in the barrel uh, of guns. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my my favorite story from the time is is um, um, Abby Hoffman uh, or, or organized uh, enough people to um, hold hands and make a circle around the Pentagon. Mm. And uh, so he actually met with some of the generals of the Pentagon asking for a permit to exorcise the Pentagon and uh, levitate it 300 feet off the ground. Hmm. (laughs) So, you know, kind of a (laughs) playful proposition. And and the the generals, of course, refused uh, the permit. And so he said, Okay, well, never let it be said I'm not willing to compromise. Will you give me a permit to levitate it 30 feet off the ground? <laughs> <laughs> and oh uh, that, that was denied as well, but the demonstration happened. Mm-hmm. And uh, a bunch of yippies uh, went and encircled the Pentagon. And feeling that this is really interesting, given, given the, um, the intense manipulation of the media that happens today. Mm-hmm. But the, the major networks... Um, felt that they were being used by Abby Hoffman and the Yippies. And um, and so they refused to broadcast it. The New York wow. Times refused to cover it. And so it's kind of this semi, you can find out about it, yeah. but it's kind of a semi-hidden piece of history that uh, uh, these demonstrators did go out and they did encircle <laughs> the wow. Pentagon and, and exorcise it. And just to come. Go ahead. No, that's quite a feat. <laughs> Just even getting all those people around the Pentagon. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would have been interesting to see if it had actually risen off the ground. <laughs> that's the kind of that's the kind of prank uh, that, 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 a trick, that a trickster does. And, and so I think it opens the door to what I like to call, you know, the possibilities for a, a play society. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and just to complete the the symmetry of the the. the uh, the, the the possibly Mark Twain quote. Um, so uh, Vietnam War ended, and uh, and so and the hippie movement kind of retreated into um, this the the mind as well. And mm-hmm. you what you got was the personal growth movement in the seventies. So things like Esalen retreats, which still go on today. Mm-hmm. Um, asked um, yep. people falling for this guru or that, um, and and so it it did it it, it really did. Um, follow follow the pattern I, I think one of the important differences is that um me, you know tech the tech the technological media was really expanding in the 60s so while the dadas were this almost cultish art movement and they were famous they were known but you didn't have electronic media and you certainly didn't have rock and roll yeah <laughs> in the 60s you had rock and roll and, and records and radio and people mobility able to get together and for large concerts and everything and so and also large demonstrations and so um i i believe that that movement was successful 
in uh, bringing about the end of the Vietnam War, mm -hmm. whereas the, the Dada's uh, weren't, but through no fault of their own. Mm -hmm. it, it, my point is technology and media really expand the possibilities of what we can do. And of course, they expand the possibilities of of us being prevented from playing, yeah. mediated. I, 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 I have to, I have to reference a, 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 a podcast that you did in my own research on on Burning Man, for example, <laughs> and you have a lot of neat things to say about that. And the fact that there's no electronics there, mm -hmm. there's no television to watch, mm -hmm. there's no commerce, there's no. I, you can buy coffee and ice, right? Mm -hmm. That's it. Those are the two things. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that that removes these barriers that we live with every day. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, you, it's one of your earlier podcasts. I know you do it, but you do a great job Thank of you. describing that experience. Thank you. And yeah, and I, I have to confess, like there is there is more and more uh, coverage through the cellular networks every year. And, you know, if you leave your your devices on sometime in the middle of the night, it will connect and suddenly you'll receive messages. At least this past year, it happened with me. And it was just jarring in the middle of Burning Man to suddenly see text messages from people at home. It, it's like they're living on another planet or something. <laughs> So I, I'm deciding this year to just keep everything off the entire time. Good for you. <laughs> but and you. one thing I actually wanted to kind of bring up just to kind of like take the conversation that I've been involved with, whoops, out, um, that I've been having with people about adults and play and kind of uh, this conversation and the reason why it's such a mindset shift for me is that I feel like when adults think about re-embracing play again, it means embracing the parts of childlikeness that are ignorant and um, I don't know how to say this because their childlikeness is a powerful, powerful position to approach life through. So I don't want to make it sound, you know, childish. Um, but I think adults think, well, I'm a grown up now and I know grown up things and I live a grown up life. So why would I retreat back into that state? And I guess what I'm what I'm hearing you talk about with this trickster character, because it's something that's just not really a part of our culture at all. Um, that you're embracing life through a childlike lens with all of our adult knowledge and, um, and all of the adult problems that we see in the world, like war, like politics that we're experiencing today, like, you know, all the things that frustrate us. What if children knew about that stuff? What if children were concerned about that stuff? I don't know. Am I making sense? I'm, I feel like it's, it's hard to kind of break through the, the kind of dialogue I tend to hear more often about adults in play um, and, yeah, and, and I, the, the reasons that people give me for thinking that it, it's silly. I mean, because people do tell me, oh, that's what you're putting your effort into. It's like, well, okay, but there are bigger things going on in the world. Yes, there are. <laughs> but this, this mindset, um, and I talk about the childlikeness mindset, um, kind of almost from a religious background that I have. <laughs> but mm -hmm. I think that, I think that Jesus would have qualified as, Definitely a trickster if only people would have written his story a little bit different. Um, but mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. anyway, yeah, I just I, I'm kind of trying to help people out there th rethink the way you think about adults and the act of play. Um, and the fact that we could not we wouldn't know what to do with a Loki if we had portrayed a, 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 a if we had portrayed Loki in Marvel Comics as this as the kind of character that he was in the pre-Christian Loki version we would right. literally have no frame of reference for him anymore. There's no category for him in our normal 
adult life. So to even consider ourselves learning how to play in this dimension that you're talking about, it's, it feels like a really long distance from here to there. Does that, am I sure. making any sense? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let me say a few things about that. Okay. Um, you know, and sometimes you just have to accept being oriented differently to mm -hmm. folks. So if someone tells me, well, that's silly, <laughs> I go, yeah, and your point is, and, yeah. <laughs> yes. I don't have a problem with silly. Yeah. Um, but some people do. Um, but but I, I think um, to your point, and coincidentally, I, I, I visited the, the Bay Area just a couple of weeks ago, and I had the opportunity to go to American Steel, where they are building the temple for this year's uh, Burning Man. And I got to talk to the chief architect for about a half hour. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of pushing my idea about how playful Burning Man is. And it's this rediscovery. And I like the way you use the term childlikeness. Mm -hmm. um, not childish, but mm -hmm. childlike, which, mm -hmm. you know, Zen Mm -hmm. masters would completely agree with you. And that's what that's about. Mm -hmm. and, and But he made a really good point about building the temple. And you, he is a professional architect. Mm -hmm. He says, I have to use these adult skills um, to to then, uh, to, in order to build this temple. Mm -hmm. But he, he and I agreed, well, what's the point of the artistry of that unless it can be a return uh, not a retreat, mm -hmm. but a return to the child consciousness. Yes. And that's what, you know, that's what, you know, the great Beethoven, Mozart, you know, the great composers, the great musicians do. They have to be very disciplined mm -hmm. to really develop it. Um, but then once you get it developed, what's the point of doing it if you can't come back to that creative fountainhead mm -hmm. of childlikeness? Salvador Dali said, learn how to paint like the masters, mm -hmm. then do whatever you want. <laughs> you know? So we saying go be disciplined, get an adult, quote, uh, skill, but then, but then use it to do that return. But in terms of – there are, I think, 20th century examples, and I think that – I think that the very best uh, routines of Groucho Marx in ah. the Marx Brothers is very, very much um, a, a trickster icon that we that we get mm -hmm. because he's always making fun of power, mm -hmm. you know, and the, and if the problem is power, the best way to defeat power is to not take it seriously. Mm -hmm. And and, that, and 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 Groucho just does a great job of, of mocking it. Even Charlie Chaplin, you could say, in The Great Dictator, mm -hmm. you know, that they mock power. But when somebody, you know, in terms of my elevator speech, you know, when somebody <laughs> says, what, I don't know, what the heck do you mean by trickster right now? Um, the, my, the, my short answer is Bugs Bunny. Yep. Um, I, I, I just think Bugs is that, that iconic trickster character that we can all relate to. Um, he's, he's, you know, and you don't, you know, I, I, I'm willing to bet the cartoonists and there was a team of cartoonists that did the Bugs Bunny cartoons that they did not study anthropology. But <laughs> here you, but then again, this uh, Bugs Bunny is a hare, mm -hmm. and the hare is a common Native American trickster figure. Mm -hmm. um, show me a Bugs Bunny cartoon where he doesn't gender switch and <laughs> dress up like a woman and seduce Elmer Fudd, uh, <laughs> impersonating a woman. I mean, there's he. It's like almost every cartoon he he. He uh, bugs bugs does that, um, and most notably, he's not good, but he's not evil mm -hmm. either. He's just in it for the fun, mm -hmm. and I think he's a true twentieth century trickster character. And I hope I'm not dating myself too much. I hope that uh, young folks today still know who Bugs Bunny is and can can relate. Oh, I'm sure they do. I and I was thinking too, another. I think of of 
comedians. My husband, actually, I hadn't been a big stand-up listener or stand-up person, but my husband really got me into listening to a lot of these guys. And uh, and but I, and even though the one I want to reference right now is not a comedian in this sense, but Sasha Baron Cohen has always been a huge hero of mine as far as what he was able to accomplish. Do you think, does that kind of person fall into the trickster category for you? I think, yes, I think so. <laughs> now, now, anthropologically and mythologically no. speaking, a human being cannot be a trickster, but a human being can embody trickster characteristics. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how important that rule is, but yeah. No, I, I love mean, it. Yeah, there is, and it's like, Oh, yes, because Sasha, because tricksters and yeah, the classic book is by a guy named Lewis Hyde and it's called Trickster Makes This World. Um, and it's really, really well done. It's really in depth. He, you know, he sees Hermes Mercury as a trickster. But the thing that he that he writes about over and over again is tricksters are boundary crossers. Mm -hmm. And I think Sasha Baron Cohen. Um, I mean, there's this one video. <laughs> I'm almost afraid to say it because people I, but it's like this older woman in a wheelchair <laughs> comes up on stage. You know, this one. Yeah. An award. And he like. <laughs> <laughs> and I pushes her off the stage and she falls. And it's it's all stage. Mm -hmm. She's not really an older woman. She's not really hurting, but it's yeah. so hilarious. But it's appalling. Yeah. I mean, he's crossing boundaries. How mm -hmm. how 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 dare you, you know, push someone in a wheelchair off a stage? Yeah. You know, we're, hor we're horrified. But he's a boundary crosser. Mm -hmm. And you know, and and I, the the guy that I I write about um, in a later chapter is Andy Kaufman. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He was a boundary crosser and he, 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 you know, it gets you in trouble. Um, being a trickster get, can get you in trouble because even though comedy, you know, we laugh at a joke because it crosses a boundary and it does the unexpected, mm -hmm. but even comedy has its rules. It is an institution. And Andy Kaufman, you know, broke, broke a lot of the rules, you know, taking, you know, um, you could say on one level he was mocking feminism, but I think he was really mocking anti-feminism mm -hmm, yeah. when he declared himself sarcastically as the intergender wrestling champion of the world. Mm -hmm. um, hilarious, but really risky, don't you think? Yeah, especially if that happened today. <laughs> but I, guess, right. I, I don't know. I feel like there is like, that's one of the things I find with a lot of activism today is it's humorlessness. Um, yes. it, there's there's it's just people yelling their ideas it's there's no like yeah I don't I don't know how to explain it I know like in the I've heard criticisms of uh Black Lives Matter and of um Occupy and that kind of thing for not having a more of a, a clearer platform you know those kinds of things looking back to the civil rights era of where there was definitely a greater orchestration but there was also during that time during the hippie yippie movement there was just there was such an iconic culture around it. And I just mm -hmm. don't feel like there is that today. There isn't, there is no trickster personality. There's no, yeah, I don't, is that, am I, is that an like, assessment that makes sense or am I just under a <laughs> I think uh, I, I, I'm, well, first of all, let me just say that um, I, I, I'm really excited to be completing my book and sharing it with folks. Mm -hmm. And I do bring it up to 2012. You do, okay. We'll but save some 20... of this, of course. <laughs> yeah, but 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 I am a little bit befuddled um, mm -hmm. by where we're at now, and and we have to uh, understand that when you open that Pandora's box and mm -hmm. you let Trickster make the jailbreak, 
um, some of the stuff's going to be negative mm-hmm. because it is amoral. Mm-hmm. And so you have um, you have things like uh, online troll trolls <laughs> who um, can be really mean mm-hmm. and 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 do some nasty stuff just because they're out for for them they're in it for the fun of it. And so for them, that's fun is being gross or being really insulting. Mm-hmm. And it is bleeding into our uh, more mainstream media as well. And I, I'm still not sure uh, what, what, what to make of it, but, um, but it's, 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 part, it's part of the package. Mm-hmm. And the stuff that's more beautiful and truly playful, because, because that's where, you know, tricksterism and play are not, they're not identical. Mm-hmm. I think they have a huge overlap, but they're not identical because, but if you look at um, Fred Donaldson's or, 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 or Brian Sutton Smith or Stuart Brown, and you look at their different definitions of play, mm-hmm. they really define play as belongingness. Mm-hmm. And you can, you can be funny and you can fight power um, and you can have some trickster characters, but if you're going to be a truly playful trickster, you're going to encourage uh, belongingness, and it doesn't. And that doesn't mean you have to sacrifice humor mm-hmm. um, either. And and if you look at some of the Dada stuff, because the Dada stuff was real smartass, you know, and it was real <laughs> satirical, and and, um, and and but it wasn't nasty. Mm-hmm. They were they were the original hippies. And if you delve more deeply into their artwork, they were all they were trying to craft a vision. Of, of a, a world of peace and a, and a, a world without war. And, and if you, we just stick to that basic first principle, um, I think, I, I, I don't know, Kara, but I'd like to think that we're, we're coming together again, mm-hmm. that you had, you had all these little factions that somehow worked together in the 60s. And then as the, after the war ended, they split apart into factions and they, some of them, it, just like you're saying, they got very, very serious. Mm-hmm. There was a lack of, lack of humor. In fact, that's the chapter I'm working on right now is, is, is kind of how in the 60s those movements broke up and we, we lost play in the bargain. Mm-hmm. But, but I, I will say that um, like the Women's March that I, uh, I joined, uh, was, was it like the day after the election or after the inauguration? Mm-hmm, yeah. And, um, um, you know, you get that many people together, you, you their sudden playfulness is bound, bound to come out. Absolutely you know? like the pussy hat. Definitely. Okay, I stand corrected. There is humor <laughs> yeah, in the cur- current. Yes. I love yeah. the pussy hat. I don't have one still, but I don't know how to knit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I want to learn um, how to knit just so I can make a pussy hat. <laughs> yeah. And and I think we've got we've got to hope we've got to hope that it, that it, that 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 humor that willingness to laugh at ourselves to laugh at power to um, we've just you know got we got to hope it it it, it catches on and that that the spirit of, of playful events mm-hmm. like Burning Man and you know you were asking about what are some of the other places and events that happen that have some of that same characteristic and one that i write about although i'm not sure it's going to make the final cut in the book is uh up here in seattle we have something called the fremont solstice parade Mm -hmm. and it has some very similar principles there's you it's a big parade but there's no advertising is allowed if you're a an elected politician Mm -hmm. uh you can join the parade but you can't well, not really. They're really not welcome, you know, mm-hmm. either to try to self-promote themselves. It has a lot of the same principles. And I just, I'm just, and, and it, 
I think you'll get this is like one of the years that I went to Fremont Solstice Parade, I was just enjoying it. And there was this all this unmediated art, mm -hmm. art that wasn't branded, it wasn't part of a brand name. It was local artists. And we got some great, wonderful artists here in Seattle. Mm -hmm. But I had a sore throat. And uh, I had to get I had to get some cough drops, you know, I had to get get throat drops. So I, I, I left the parade and walked into a drugstore. And all of a sudden, I'm overwhelmed by all these boxes with brand names mm -hmm. on them. And this sale and the, the you become so much more sensitized to the come on of commerce. Yep. Uh, when you get away from it for a little while. And so Burning Man's a week, uh, mm -hmm. but I was like, this was parade. I'd only been at the parade for an hour and a half, you know, mm -hmm. and, and still mm -hmm. you could, when that mediated stuff is removed, um, you, you have this much stronger hit mm -hmm. of what it means to be human and have human contact. And, 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 and then it's, and, and, and where playfulness is really, truly fun. Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of people come home from their first burn, just completely disoriented. <laughs> I just can't quite figure out what's going on. I, I, we're, we're coming toward the end of time and I just, I really want to, because there's just so much, I'm so glad we're doing more than one episode here. And we did, we literally barely scratched the surface of the first <laughs> intro and chapter. So right, there's so right. much more that is going to happen when we have the episode around the launch of his book. But I kind of want to just bring us back to something that's literally, it's on page two of your intro and it's what hooked me right at the very beginning. And I know you say like the trickster persona is not play, but it's play is something I, if they wouldn't mind me reading here from your book, play sure. is just such an unbearable, unbearably beautiful energy. Play is that force beyond culture found in all life forms that gives rise to creation. It embraces irrationality patterns beyond our normal comprehension and play is problematic as an activity induced during the struggle to survive, to be healthy, to create a just and environmentally friendly society, it seems to get in the way of these important tasks. Um, I, I love that play is problematic. Play is is a force of nature. Um, play is is so much deeper than people give it credit. And I think like having read your this little paragraph, play is problematic for those of us who are trying to instill order in this world. Um, exactly. But, but but we are literally going against a force a force of nature and if and if we think of of the world and nature what is more unpredictable than, you know, nature. <laughs> it goes where it goes and we have right. to just we have to be able to deal with it and our life goes where it goes. We don't get to control a lot of things and the more playful we are in our you know, approach, the less stress we are going to feel by our, in our attempts to nail everything down and have everything just so. Um, so I, I think there's such a deeper spiritual dimension to all of this that I'm sure we're going to talk about in the next episode some as well. Um, but yeah, I just kind of want to say how inspiring that, that introduction has been to me so far and how excited I am to get to read the rest of it. And we will be hearing all about it here on Playgrounding. And some, this fall, um, we will be featuring you on the podcast again um, because there's just way too much to talk about for one conversation. So thank you for this first half. Uh, and thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Next week, we'll be talking about how a playful attitude can help us accept and move through grief and even bring us a more honest relationship with our bodies as we try to figure out this physical fitness and play stuff. Heavy? 
Yeah, but you'll walk away from this conversation with author Sabrina Must feeling like a weight has lifted. I know I did. See you next time. Thank you.